Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. My name is Nathan Harris. I'm the marriage and family pastor here at East Point Church. And, you know, God is doing some really cool things here at our church. Uh, You heard earlier that Kurt is in Botswana, Africa right now. He's meeting with some people and discovering how we're going to partner with them. But, um, you know, what we're going to do right now is have our ushers come on up and uh, begin the offering because this is our time. If you are... If you call yourself part of our East Point family, if East Point Church is your home, we want to encourage you to give. Give to what God is doing. And like I said, we're going to hear more about that when Kurt gets back. But if, if you're a guest here this morning, if you came in just for the free coffee or maybe somebody drug you here against your will, let these buckets go right on by you. We want this service to be our gift to you. Well, we're in the middle of a series called Three Questions of Jesus. Jesus asked a whole lot more than just three questions. And what we have is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament in the Bible, uh, what we call the Gospels. But the distinctive thing about the, the questions that Jesus asked is that they were teaching devices. They were ways for him to talk to people so that they would begin to think about some things and then act in a particular direction. He was eliciting a response from them. Now, if you're a parent and you're sitting here, or maybe you're watching online, you know exactly what this is like, don't you? For instance, my wife and I have a six and a three-year-old in our house. And I am constantly, every time the six-year-old comes out of the bathroom, I have to ask him two questions. Did you flush? And did you wash with soap and water? Because running your fingers under the faucet just doesn't cut it, dude. And I'm not asking him these questions because it's like, oh, hey, how's your day? Or, or because I'm really all that interested in what happened in the bathroom, okay? I'm just not. But I have a value of cleanliness. I want my son to grow up strong. And I want him to grow up healthy. And I want him to be able to think through some hygiene issues and put them in practice. Plus, I don't want his future wife and bosses to have to have this conversation with him later on down the road, Okay. Now, you don't have to be a parent to get this concept of the questions. If, if, you're, a, if you're a manager at your job or you train people in, in, in uh, tasks at your work, you ask them questions. Why? Because it helps them to think through what their job is step by step so that they can then become a contributing part of the team. If you're a student and you're studying with other students, you usually quiz each other on the information, right? Why? Because you're trying to assimilate it. And as you think through it, as you discuss it, as you're able to put it out, you learn what is in front of you. Whenever we see Jesus asking a question in the Bible, we need to pay attention because he's going to teach us a lesson. The question is never, ever just about the question. Now, last week, Pastor Teresa did a great job in talking about the question, why are you so afraid? And the lesson there was that when Jesus is near, and he always is, all right, when Jesus is near, we don't have to have fear control our life. The what ifs don't matter in the light of the presence of of Jesus. And if you didn't get to hear that message or whatever, you can go to eastpointchurch.com and you can check that out on the website. I encourage you to do that. This week, we're going to look at the question, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asks. 
Now remember, this is not a blank check question. It's never just about the question. It's not about the words. Jesus is looking for a particular response. And the response he's looking for from us is faith. I was recently confronted with my own need for faith. Um, You see, I tend to be task-oriented. And this is something that I was born with. It's part of my personality. I get focused on doing things, on on a task that's right in front of me. And if you give me a task and then you come to me later and say, whoa, 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 time out, time out. I need you to stop that task and move over here to this task before this one's done. I will lose my marbles. All right, I'm gonna go banunus. If you come and interrupt me in a task, just to interrupt me, I might eat your face off. All right, I am task-oriented, but it's not just my personality that, that makes me this way. I also have this example growing up. My dad was a pastor at a small church in a very small town, and he was driven to prove that he was a good dad, husband, and pastor. And in this drive, he became very task-oriented. Now, don't get me wrong. I loved my dad. He, he passed away about three years ago now. But I loved my dad. And at his funeral, there were about 300 people who showed up to his funeral in this small little town outside of Eugene, Oregon, who were all a testament to how he loved people how he was able to step into their circumstances and love on them. My dad did a lot of great things, but this being task-oriented was one of the dark sides, all right? And so I saw this growing up. So here I am, a husband, a dad, and a pastor, just like my dad. And just like my dad, I'm trying to prove myself every single day that I'm worthy, that I'm good, that I should be listened to and liked as a dad, a husband, and a pastor. And what I'm seeing and finding is that in my own family, at home where we live, some of the same things that marked my, my growing up family because of the, the being task-oriented, they're, they're, they're creeping into my family. Things like anger, bitterness, frustration, You know, this is my sickness. My dad isn't responsible for this. Yeah, he, he showed me an example of how to live it. But like I said, this is my sickness. This is, I'm broken. And you guys, I'm desperate to get out from under it. And so I have been confronted with this question. What do you want me to do for you? Now, because Jesus asks us this question, we need to understand something. He has come to rescue us. I don't care what your brokenness is. I don't care how broken you are in what areas. Jesus has come to rescue us. And because he's come to rescue us and to set us free, we are not bound to our personalities. We're not bound to our circumstances. We're not bound to the examples we had growing up. Who here thinks that's good news? I do. That's some pretty awesome news, but it's going to require something of me. It's going to require something of you, and that something is faith. To live out this good news, it's going to require faith, and that's the big idea this morning. Jesus came to set us free, 
But we have to respond to him in faith. If we are going to live the life of freedom that he came to give to us, we have to respond in faith. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of faith that's just some warm, sappy sentiment, something you might find at a Hallmark card, something like, today is the beginning of anything you want. Really? Anything? I've made, Remember, I said I'm task-oriented as I'm on my way to the kitchen to get something for myself. I turned to my wife, hey, sweetie, you want anything? She goes, anything? Don't interrupt my task, lady. That's just, those are just empty words. That doesn't really mean anything. But I'm also not talking about the kind of faith that's built on blind repetition of some secret, sacred formula wherein if we do it enough and in the right way, if we say the right words, if we approach the right way enough times that God is just magically going to give us what we want, like some kind of cosmic vending machine. That's not faith. That's a magic formula, and faith isn't magic. I'm talking about the kind of faith that is based on and rests on, at least in part, some kind of understanding of who Jesus is that we then embrace into our lives and then we live out in what we do. There's a story in the New Testament and the Gospel of Mark that confronts us with this very kind of faith. And in it, Jesus asks the question, what do you want me to do for you? I want you to think about that question right now. As we talk this morning, I want you to think about that. What is it that you want Jesus to do for you? Where are you broken? What is your sickness? What do you want him to do for you and what are you willing to do to get that. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. Mark 10, 46 through 52. I'll be reading out of the NIV. If you have your uh, Bible or your Bible app with you, go ahead and turn it there. You can follow along. Verse 46 says this, then they came to Jericho. Okay, I'm going to pause just for a second. Jericho, this, this is a city just outside of Jerusalem, not that far from Jerusalem. Jesus, in this story, is he's on a journey. This is the setting of this story. He's on a journey, but this isn't just any journey. He's going to Jerusalem for the very last time. And he's going to Jerusalem so that he can confront the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the priests. And he's basically going to tell them, this town ain't big enough for the two of us. He's going to go to Jerusalem to do battle with the forces of sin and, and evil and darkness that have held humanity captive in a life far, far from God. And he's going to let that darkness do its absolute worst to him so that you and I could be free. Jesus, you see, the setting of this story is that Jesus is on a mission, and his mission is to go and die. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Many rebuked him and said, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I love this. Verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. You guys, this is the fourth or fifth interruption in this one journey. Jesus was always getting interrupted, and this is no uh, different for him on, on this journey to Jerusalem to go and die. He's been interrupted every step of the way. And remember what I told you about me being task-oriented? Oh, yeah, I can imagine how this would have played out if this would have happened to me. Are you kidding me? I'm on my way to do battle for, uh, with the forces of sin and darkness for you, buddy. You're making me late here. Can you please speed this up? I got important things to do. But that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. He listens to Bartimaeus' plea from the back of the throng. This is, there's a large crowd. It's hot. It's dusty. There's lots of noise going on. There's probably bleeding animals and all kinds of stuff happening. And he hears from the back of the throng this man crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And Jesus stops. And he calls him out of the crowd. Listen, there are some sitting in this room right now or watching online who are wondering if Jesus even hears. Let me tell you, he does. He hears you right now, right where you're at. He hears you in the middle of your circumstance. There is nothing that he is so busy with or so into that he cannot hear your cries. And it doesn't matter what the circumstance is. It doesn't matter if it's one of your choosing and some really bad decisions or if it's something that somebody else has chosen for you and thrust on you. God hears your cries. He's listening to you right now. And he's saying, come here. Come here. That is the picture of our God. The God who hears the cries of broken people. Jesus stopped and called him. So they, the crowd, the ones who were just telling him, shut up. They called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Isn't this wonderful? And I love this, verse 50, throwing his cloak aside, he jumps to his feet and he comes to Jesus. And Jesus asks the question, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, I want to see. Jesus asks this question, what do you want me to do for you? And I'm tempted in my sarcastic imagination and, and mind and, and sense of humor to imagine the scene from the latest Star Wars movie, Rogue One, where the blind, almost Jedi guy is captured and he has a bag thrown over his head and he goes, are you kidding me? I'm blind. <laughs> Jesus didn't miss the obvious. 
This blind man was doing exactly what every other blind man in this culture did, what every other blind person did. The only thing they could do, sit on the side of the road and beg for other people to have kindness and mercy to them. It was a test of faith. What do you want me to do for you? You guys, just a a few verses prior to this encounter, we have Jesus being approached by two of his disciples where they come to him and they say, Jesus, do for us whatever we ask. And they asked this question because they thought that they were getting in on the ground level of some pretty cool stuff. They thought, hey, God's chosen one is here and we want to get in on, on the, being part of the ruling class of this. So, so they're thinking about that. And Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do for you? He uses those words to them. And, and they say, make us your number one and number two guy. We want power and we want position. Because they misunderstood who Jesus is and what he was really about. If we look beyond this encounter with blind Bartimaeus, what we will see is that Jesus, as he has an encounter with, with the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests, that they're going to reject him based on their version and their idea of what, what God's kingdom is all about and, and who this chosen one is supposed to be. And they're going to ask him, by what authority do you do any of this stuff? So you've got these two scenes where people have misunderstanding about Jesus and they're not grasping who he is and right in between, sandwiched right in between is a blind man who sees what no one else understands. Jesus is the chosen one from God to make all things right. And the only position Bartimaeus has in front of him is that of a blind beggar on the side of the road. Jesus, I've got no claim on you. I've got even nothing to offer you. I'm just asking you, please have mercy on me. Go, Jesus says. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road, we're told in verse 52. You guys, the the faith of Bartimaeus is commended to us in this story as the exact kind of faith we need to have. And there's three things about this faith that Bartimaeus shows that I think we need to grab a hold of if we're going to live a genuine life of faith, if we're going to live a faith that's based on the person of Jesus. And here's the first thing. Number one, faith discovers who Jesus is. Faith discovers who Jesus is. Verse 47 says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. There were a lot of Jesuses running around the Judean countryside at this point in history. A lot of them. Jesus is simply the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. There's an entire book of the Bible where God does all kinds of really cool things through one guy named Joshua. And at this point in history, to remind themselves of of their past and what God has called them to and what God has promised for them, parents would often name their kids after biblical heroes. It was part of how they told this grand story to each other. So there were a lot of Jesuses running around, but Bartimaeus discovers this is the Jesus. 
Jesus of Nazareth, who did all kinds of healing and of whom there were all kinds of rumors floating around. We're not sure who exactly is or what he's about, but we know that there's these really cool things happening. And his response to this, Bartimaeus' response was simply to discover who it is that's passing by. I remember a time I was pretty young, uh, five-ish, I think, and I was hanging out with a cousin of mine and some of his friends. When all of a sudden in the background, we were outside, we're playing, and we hear this tinkling, slightly out of tune music. And I'm thinking, what on earth is this? And it, for my cousin and his friends, it was like, you ever watch those nature shows on like Discovery or PBS and you, you see the animals on the African plain, they just kind of, <laughs> all of a sudden they're sniffing the air. They're like, ice cream truck. And I'm thinking, ice cream truck? What is this magical thing of which you speak? And I'm listening to their stories and they're getting all excited and beginning to froth at the mouth. And I'm like, I've got to go check this thing out. So I run with them and we go to this magical ice cream dispensing vehicle. And my life has never been the same since. Still working on that. The first thing faith does is, dis- is to discover who Jesus is. You see, faith pays attention to the stories that other people tell about their encounters with Jesus. Guess what? That's what we're all doing in here right now. You're already, whether or not you're a Christ follower, you're already taking a step of faith right here, just being here this morning, discovering who Jesus is and paying attention to him. But that's not all faith does. Real faith moves beyond simply knowing about Jesus to embracing Jesus. And that's the second thing about this faith, this faith that Bartimaeus shows us that we need to grab a hold of. Faith embraces who Jesus is. Verse 47, Bartimaeus, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd tussles with him and tells him to be quiet. He yells all the louder. Jesus stops and says, call him to me. And I love this in verse 50. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. You guys, Bartimaeus had absolutely nothing to lose. He had nothing to lose and everything to gain. And he throws aside the one thing that is his entire world. This this cloak that he's sitting on, he didn't need it in Jericho to stay warm. It's typically warm all the time in, in Jericho, all right? He needed this because this is the boundaries of his life. This is his world. He sits on this blanket day after day on this dusty roadside as people are going by begging for their kindness and their mercy so that later at the end of the day, he can get up and he can go to the market and buy something. And then the very next day, he can come back and do the exact same thing. This is his world. And he throws it aside all for what Jesus might possibly have to offer him. I've got a picture here I want to show you of my daughter, Abigail. I I actually caught her in this position. That thing in her mouth, yeah, she's not supposed to have it. 
but she knew it was on top of the dresser. And so like a monkey, she scales this thing. When my daughter gets something in her mind about what she wants, there's not a whole lot that can get in the way. As a matter of fact, a few weeks back when we had that big snow, my wife and I decided to surprise both of our kids with with some home-delivered pizza. Mom and dad basically didn't want to cook, so that's why we did it. But So when the magical pizza fairy arrives and knocks at the door and I open the door, my daughter loses it. There was a toy explosion as she's throwing her hands up in the air and releasing these toys, jettisoning them into nothingness, and she screams, pizza! She runs, grabbing my leg with one arm, and she's reaching for this beautiful pizza pie with the other as I'm trying to pay the lady. What are you desperate for? And are you desperate enough to embrace Jesus and to throw aside the things you're used to? The things that you thought life was all about or made life easy. Things like a position. Maybe the way people view you. Oh, that one's a hard one for me. I want people to like me. Maybe it's money for you. I don't know. What is it? What is it that is your day after day after day life that might be getting in the way? Faith embraces who Jesus is. And it lets those things go. But once we've embraced Jesus, there's one more thing we need for our faith to be complete. We need to act on who Jesus is. And that's the third thing. Faith acts on who Jesus is. Verse 52 says, go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and he went back to his cloak, gathered up his stuff and sat back down. No. He followed Jesus along the road His life was different. He lived a different kind of life from that day on. You and I can't follow Jesus along the road to Jerusalem the way that that Bartimaeus did, but we can follow along the way. You see, the, the word there that's translated as the road can also be translated as the way. The earliest Christ followers were known as the followers of the way. To be a follower of the way meant then and now that we are Jesus' disciples, staying plugged into him as he fills us with his life, as he changes us. I've got another picture for you. This one is of my son, Caleb. Here he is out our previous house. You can see a couple of bulldozers in a dump truck there. We went out one day, one sun, Sunday afternoon. I had a shovel in my hand. I said, Caleb, you want to come join me? And he goes, sure, daddy. What are we going to do? I said, well, I got to uncover the septic tank. He goes, why, daddy? And in the wise words of Randy Quaid, I said, the pooper's full. (laughs) And he joined me and he helped me to move dirt. Moving piles of dirt. Listen to me. Real faith is attached to Jesus in such a way that we draw our lives from him And we're trained by him in how to live. 
And it's a messy process. We don't always get it right. But guess what? Our teacher is perfect. And we're going to stand or fall on his watch. But in our faith, we attach ourselves to him, all because we stay with him. The example of Bartimaeus is the exact example of faith we need to follow. We, dis- we do this by discovering, embracing, and acting on the way, on who Jesus is, because our faith rests on him. It's not on a thing. It's not on what we might or might not get. It's not on even a particular answer. It's on the person of Jesus. So let me ask you this. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Where are you at? What might happen for you and me if we listened for Jesus passing by? What might happen if we listened to the stories other people told about Jesus and what he has done for them and then we embraced Jesus for ourselves, throwing aside everything that gets in our way and then completely and totally attaching ourselves to him, learning from him, getting our lives from him. What might your life look like? Whether you're already a believer and a Christ follower or you're just investigating Christianity, what, what might your life look like? What do you want Jesus to do for you? you want to join me, and I'm inviting everybody here, wherever you are on the spectrum of faith, I'm inviting you to join me. And if you want to come and join me on this journey, I've got a short prayer for you that you can use in your daily life as a starting point if you want to. This is just meant to be a tool. I told you earlier that that just the repetition of, of things in enough ways and, and loud enough or whatever, that's, that's a magic formula. This is not a magic formula. This comes from the book of Psalms. It's in the Bible. This is Psalm 25, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to skip around a little bit. I won't actually read all of it. Here it is, verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways, but according to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. I've been using this psalm as a starting point in engaging with Jesus as I've attached myself to him. And it's been challenging. It's been disturbing to life as I've lived it, but it's been good because Jesus has heard my cry and he is healing me. He's making me new. What do you want from Jesus? And what are you willing to do about it? Let me pray for you. Dear Jesus, Lord, we need your mercy. The truth is that every single one of us has some form of brokenness in our lives, some things that get in the way of where we're at now and the life that you have for us. Lord, we lift those things to you 
And we ask that you would take them. We ask, Jesus, that you would give us your grace and, and your mercy. We don't, you owe us nothing. We ask simply that you have mercy on us. God, for people who are sitting here in this room or watching online right now and they're wrestling with whether or not you hear them, I pray that you would speak clearly to them right now. Just in their minds, God, bring them peace. Let them hear your gentle call to them and that, that you have all kinds of time for them simply because you love them. Have mercy right now, Jesus. If you're here and you haven't yet begun your life as a Christ follower, but you are intrigued, you want to know this Jesus more, I'm gonna say a, a prayer. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to stand up. You can just sit right where you're at and, and you can say this prayer or make it your own. Jesus, have mercy on me. I have been lost in brokenness. Some of it's been my own choosing. Some of it has been others choosing, but it's, it's brokenness. Have mercy. Hear my cry. Make me new. Bring me into your life and into your family. I wanna be part of you. Jesus, for anybody who said that prayer, who made that their own, I pray that you would visit them right now, right where they're at that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, which is your presence, your grace, your actual mercy with them right now. Help them to see your face and to hear your voice this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me, please? We're gonna sing one last song. It's called, I Surrender. And in this time, I wanna encourage you, this is a time for you to be able to say to Jesus, here it is, I'm throwing it aside. I've heard the stories and, and I'm done with my life and where I'm at right now. Here I am, take me, I surrender to you. Let's sing this and then I'll come back up. Will you surrender today? Listen, you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to look just right. You can be just like the blind beggar on the side of the road with nothing to lose, have nothing to bring to offer and simply cry out for mercy and then walk that out. Will you join me in doing that this week? If, if you made that prayer, I said earlier, your own, and you became a Christ follower for the first time today, we have these bags They're on the tables by all of the doors on your way out. Pick it up. It's got a Bible in there. It's got some stuff in there about how to begin your life as a Christ follower. Also by the doors and the black boxes. If you weren't able to give your offering, you can do that right there. If you need to take communion this morning, we've got communion on both sides of the room. And if you need prayer, come this way. We're going to have a prayer team up front. Jesus hears our cries. Let's remember that and live that out this week. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.